Hey, welcome to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. And joining you as always from multiple places in the city of New Orleans is uh, myself, Aaron, Fredo, and Dave. Everybody say hello. Hello. Hi. And uh, this is, uh, yeah, another quarantine edition. Um, you know, we'll have to, maybe we'll have to, like, sometime, like, once we get into phase two or whatever, you guys can come back over and we'll have masks on. So, <laughs> and, um, you know, it'd be really good. Um, but, uh, yeah, starting to had a live person actually come to my house, uh, this weekend for a couple minutes and it was like delightful. Um, I mean, my wife and I have been getting along great and, you know, but I think it was just, it's nice for both of us just to see another living being and not on a video screen. So, um, how are you guys hanging in there? What's what's new in, in Fredo and Dave land? Uh, well, for me, I've uh, started, I mean, uh, this week I went back to work at the office. So I've slowly but surely gotten more, you know, back into the habit of getting up and taking a shower and <laughs> driving, <laughs> making the commute to work, That which, you know, it's a skill that I led language because I was working from home. Uh, so in terms of that interaction, you know, with the people that do not immediately uh, staying at home with it was in unique. So I mean, mostly empty still, most of downtown still empty. But uh, other than that, just kind of just trying to get back into uh, back on the bike of actually being a productive member of society. Yeah, I've actually gone to uh, my my co working place a couple times just in the mornings when like hardly anybody is there. So maybe I'll stand on you know uh, Poitrasen magazine and yell Fredo really loud, and maybe you'll hear me. <laughs> Because there isn't anybody down there, so there isn't no. Dave, what's going on with you guys? I wouldn't say there's much new going on. I mean, we're we're figuring out summer camp logistics for the kids and um, trying to sort out stuff for the fall as well. So it's um, that's the fun stuff. Um, I'm uh, I'm reading the um, Star Wars novel uh, Bloodline. Um, so I'm c- continuing my spring reading, which will probably go into the summer reading. And uh, I've enjoyed it so far. Um, I-, I like these newer books. I- I- I've-, I've liked pretty much all of them so far. What, what, what is, uh, is there any common threads that make you, you know, that is making you like these or? I'd say that um, we, we talked about how the EU could feel fan fictiony for people who weren't into it um, at the time, uh, you know, with that emperor clone and all that stuff, um, <laughs> which is now in the films. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it really doesn't, it really avoids that. Um, th- none of the novels have really veered into anything that feels fan fictiony. So um, that's what I like about them the most. I'd say that's the common thread. It does seem like uh, some of the books are, um, you can draw a little bit straighter lines into the movies, mm-hmm. um, which we will, and, and the other media, which we'll talk about here in a little bit, because like the Aftermath series, um, which I'm slowly getting through, um, has, some, has some links uh, to it. Um, but uh, yeah, so I think I think they're making a little bit more. It was kind of what I was trying to get across in our EU episode is that it seemed like everybody was just you just had a bunch of people writing a bunch of Star Wars books, which was cool. 
but now it's kind of you're seeing you know connections between these different books and the and the films and everything. So, uh, well, cool. Um, me, I've been. I got a new purchase. Um, I got a baritone ukulele. Um, it's kind of the gateway drug into being able to play guitar because it's the same tuning as the top four strings of a guitar. So, I've been sitting on my porch and actually able to sing all of the uh, Irish songs that I sang when I was in a band and um, also uh, some uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash and uh, some uh, Eagles. So yeah, that's been fun. And figured out an REM tune, actually two REM tunes. That was fun. Yeah. So, um, but anyway, uh, I digress. That's what I've been doing. Um, but Hey, let's get into some trivia and, uh, uh, we did not have trivia last week. Last week was fun watching The Empire Strikes Back and talking about it. We'll have to do that again um, periodically. Uh, I don't know if anybody else had fun listening to it, but I had fun you know, talking about it. Uh, but uh, we skipped trivia because it was going to be such a long one. So we're back at it. So let's see here. Dave, you're going to go first. And it's who orders the transmission generator checked when communications are disrupted on Naboo? I'm going to say, I'm guessing here. I think it, I'm going to say Queen Amidala. Nope. It is Captain Panaka. Mm. Which do we know why he wasn't in episode two? There was some sort of story I remember hearing, uh, you know, about why, like there was, there was some behind the scenes, put it that way. It wasn't necessarily related to characters or, you know, storyline issues, but, I mean, or, the actor might have asked for more money. Or like or, he had a better gig or something. Yeah, I don't know. Or, or, yeah, exactly. There may have been a conflict or, you know, when, and usually when those conflicts happen, it's a question of what you sign up for first or which one was paying you more or what was better profile. And so he he wasn't available, so they recast him into and the new, the new character was kind of made for uh, to take over that spot, which I believe they cut down. Because you only see him a few. It's the dumbest name they ever gave a character, and that was Captain Typho. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, there are probably some like, names, but sounds like a bounty hunter more than a uh, security sounds like guard. A, sounds like a disease, you know. It's like you know. <laughs> only thing I remember of him was the only thing I remember of him was the eye patch. That's it. Yeah. All right. Well, Fredo, it's to you. Um, who announces? Quote. I will not let you give up your future for me. Oh, okay. Actually, I'll, I'll steal Dave's answer and go Queen Amidala. I'm sorry. The correct answer is Padme Amidala. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> she was no longer queen. Yeah, this she wasn't true. a queen anymore. Uh, maybe, a, maybe once a queen, always a queen. Kind of like, you know, <laughs> calling people Mr. President or whatever, you know. To steal a line from Futurama, you are technically correct, which is the best kind of correct to me. <laughs> that, that's always a killer meme. Yeah. So. All right. Let's see here. Um, what planet's friendliness, in Dexter Jetzer's opinion, depends on, quote, how good your manners are and how big your pocketbook is? let people think about this one for a while. I got the easy one out of the bunch. Sorry, guys. Um, but that was Camino. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Dexter Jetster. Which, 
and is it just me? I always remember when he delivers that line, there's an element of danger. Yeah, it's like, you know like, I mean? like Obi-Wan's going to get it, you know, type of a thing. And then he just shows up, parks up his, parks his ride at the, the first parking spot, walks in. Hey, come on, right in. Let's have some drinks. Yep. No, it was kind of awkward. It was kind of awkward. So oh, that uh, movie is awkward. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I will. I've said it before. You know, I, I will give episode two this is that um, they. I mean, it was kind of, the first half of it is a good whodunit. You know, and it's it's a fun cat and mouse. But they they go so many places, and it's just action, 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 action. You know what I mean from the get go. Um, so we'll give it that. It. Uh, mm -hmm. It was like it was written by a, you know a thirteen-year-old with you know <laughs> with attention problems, but uh, anyway, so cool. Well, that's our trivia. Thanks for joining us, um, Fredo. What's what's new in Star Wars world? Okay, year? so um, we'll try to catch up a bit on news that didn't happen because you know we skipped last week. Uh, first bit of news is uh, the High Republic uh, publishing line that. It's gonna supposed to what's supposed to start uh, in August of this year has been pushed back to January of next year. So uh, both Charles Soule's The High Republic, Lot of the Jedi, and The High Republic: A Test of Courage are now both set to release on January fifth, twenty twenty one, and then The High Republic: Into the Dark has been moved to February second, twenty twenty one. Cool. So if you were looking forward to them, gotta wait a bit longer. That's kind what of a do you guys think about them all coming? I was going to ask, what do you guys think about them all coming out kind of bunched together like that? Well, the thing is, they they may kind of make a point of saying that each book is kind of aimed at a different demographic, so to speak, because a lot of the Jedi is supposed to be an adult novel, whereas Tess of Courage is going to be more middle grade level reading and uh, Into the Dark is supposed to be young adult. So I guess they're trying to be you know, multi-dynamic meaning they're trying to reach and have something for everybody right but I it's could, interesting yeah mm -hmm. i'm sorry i could I, you know i could see it's kind of like my criticism of you know like netflix putting all of the season of stranger things releasing it all at once that people will then go and who have nothing better to do than to binge the entire season in one evening you know and then spoil it for everybody you have to you know <laughs> avoid it social media like you know the plague um, because people are talking about all this stuff. So I could, you know, by releasing these so close together, I mean, not not many people are like my <laughs> wife who can read four books at a time and have them all done at the same time. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, um, so I don't know. I, but, I can, but I can see the point. It's like, you know, dad's got a book. Why can't I have a book, you know, mm -hmm. so... And I mean, and that's part of it. It's a gonna, it's a campaign. It's not just gonna be just a few books. They're hoping that it's a success. They're hoping that people gravitate towards them. So they want to have something for everybody, you know. You know, every reading capability, every reading level is hit, so that you know, at least you go get your book, the kid go gets their book, and off you go. Well, I think you we can should... compare notes afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> They have their own little book club. Yeah. Their own <laughs> podcast. Uh, no, I actually, I think we need to start an office pool. I think about this time is when you're going to start getting an announcement that there is going to be a high Republic movie. That's I still, I can't, I can't believe that they, that that's not part of their scheme here as well. 
At, at some point, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, particularly, again, it all depends on the response by the fan base. You know, if it succeeds, I mean, it could very well be something where you could do a animated TV show or an animated movie or something on YouTube to start off with. But didn't, uh, you know, didn't wasn't the original Ryan Johnson uh, rumor was that he was going to be doing a trilogy um, in an era that has never been explored before? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the thought process on that was it was going to be like a different part of the galaxy or a different galaxy altogether, more so than a different like time. But can't you take this from a certain point of view type of thing and like maybe draw draw a line? I'm just speculating. It you know. It could well, be the, ga- the Game of Thrones guys, it was oh, there was a lot of speculation that they were doing Old Republic stuff, um, but of course now that's not happening. So, well, is, is Old Republic and High Republic the same? Uh, yeah, yes and no. Old Re- I mean, Old Republic they've had it mean multiple peers basically it's everything before the empire one way or another like whenever you're standing on the star wars timeline the old republic happened before you uh the high republic they're being specific to that period like 200 years before the so so i'll read one one final paragraph before uh, we move away from it just because it's interesting so the creative director from lucasfilm when he announced it says I can't tell you. I can't tell you that our story architect, so name drops the five authors. You know, Claudia Gray, Justine Ireland, Daniel Jose Older, Kevin Scott, and Charles Suling are continuing to work away on this new era of stories. You'll hear from them this summer, and when you do, be sure to ask them about the hero of Hetzel, the twins, the blade of Bardada, the Staros and Santeca clans, and the Storms. So did you say? Did you say Santeca clans? That's right. So is, that's like uh, Lars Santeca, right? The guy that, that, that gets killed in uh, Force Awakens. That's right, pro- portrayed by Max von Sydow at the start of Force Awakens. Yes. Right. So, uh, so there's some ideas here that they're expecting they're going to connect with fans. So we'll see. Cool. Okay. Right so next bit of news after that, and uh, was kind of a you know we seem to be getting casting everybody into the Mandalorian. It was revealed by Slash Film that Timothy Oliphant is going to be in season two of The Mandalorian, playing a character, if you've read the Aftermath books, you'll know, by the name of Cobb Vanth. Yeah, this, I mean, not to spoil the book, but this guy, like, picks up uh, Boba Fett's armor on Tatooine, found it kind of discarded in a Jawa junk pile type of deal, and kind of becomes a kind of the marshal of Tatooine type deal from what I understand, um, which then would make to me total sense. The end of uh, the episode of the Mandalorian where, you know, the, the mysterious person comes up when they're on Tatooine, people are saying it's Boba Fett. Maybe it's this dude, you know, now this is going to be one of those where it's like, you know, Hey, it's Boba Fett. No, I'm Cobb Vanth. Shut up. You're Boba Fett. Um, you know, that's just I can just see people they they see the armor and they're gonna so they're gonna have to explain it or go read the book, but whatever. Um, but people are still saying that Tamara Morrison is going to be Boba Fett, and you're gonna have both of them. What's he gonna like? We're we gonna have Spider Man, the two Spider Mans pointing at each other meme. Like, <laughs> your pointing is your pointing is different from normal pointing. Uh, no, I was gonna say, um, it'd be interesting because put it this way, how does that armor? 
come out and end up in his hands. But does that mean that Boba Fett crawled out of the Sarlacc pit? Does that uh, mean he, you know, what I know, it was found kinda, by Dallas? Kind of, it sounds like it was um, kind of barfed out of the uh, the Sarlacc. You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. like the stuff that can't get digested. You know, type of the deal. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I don't know. I, I'm still in the Boba Fett dead uh, camp, and uh, and so it makes sense that this guy finds this armor. Um, but uh, and, and it's an interesting idea of having somebody because uh, Timothy Lollifont is known for playing cowboys or cowboy like characters. He did so in Deadwood, he did so for seven awesome seasons of Justified. Uh, he did so actually in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where he played a movie cowboy. So he's got the style and desire to play it, play a role like that. Uh, and then putting him uh, as a marshal in, in on Tatooine. You know the most space westerns so of space western. Well, we also we also have the dude um, who was uh, in Terminator and Tombstone. What's his name? Oh, oh. Um, no, the the guy who played Johnny Ringo. Oh, Michael Bean. Michael Bean. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to be in there too. So mm -hmm. it's like, I don't know. Um, I still I still want somebody to be Cad Bane. <laughs> I want somebody to be Cad Bane. Now, I mean, they can they can do all sorts of stuff with you know, CGI face and things like that to make him look like Cad Bane. And then I, I just want that character. I think that's an awesome character. What if we brought back Boba and Cad Bane? That would be a lot of fun. And throw Ahsoka into the mix. You got all these heavy hitters from the Clone Wars just uh, <laughs> going ham in live action. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Does the Mandalorian? Okay, we're all speculating here that we could have all. You know, we still don't have confirmation, like on hardly any of this stuff. But do we? Does it end up again? Does it end up being like a Scooby Doo episode where you have the Globetrotters and Batman and Robin and the Scooby Gang all in one? Where for the first you know two minutes you're like, this is way cool, and then you're like, oh, okay, good lord, I'm done. You know, it's like, does the Mandalorian? go from being this this cool um, story of people that we've never heard of before to a huge family reunion. There's always that fear. There's always got to be that concern because uh, as we know, it can be quite easy to become fan servicey if you're not cautious. You know, fans want to see stuff and then they go, okay, we'll give it to them. But it's a matter of how you do it. I mean, uh, you know that the Mandalorian has been tasked with finding more about the Jedi. And that means they're just going to have to go and find people who face them or been allies with them. So some of those characters can be organically brought into the story. But I will say that I think uh, I will, I, there, I'm, while I'm always worried about those things after, and we'll talk about Disney Gallery here in a little bit, um, I'm, I'm having more and more faith in Jon Favreau and um, his team in what they're doing at the Mandalorian. So um, I think what they'll do will be tasteful and will make sense. So I would agree with that. Um, though I would say too, you, you have a point um, because when you look at movies, movies um, as a good example, they, when they overstuff them uh, with characters from the comics, they typically struggle. And lately uh, Marvel's had a pretty good, batting average with those kinds of movies. But if you think back to like, I don't know, the 1989 Batman movie, 
the sequels got worse and worse because they kept trying to add more and more characters. Um, the direction. Yeah, it became yeah. the 1960s Batman, you know, where all the villains were working together. Yeah, yeah, it just got bloated and silly, and you couldn't give anybody just a, a screen the screen time they deserved. So it, yeah, I you know I would agree with the concern, but again, I I do really I'm with you in trusting these filmmakers. They've they've shown great restraint and talent so far. So I'm uh, I'm excited. I'm really excited to see what they do. So speaking of uh, you know bringing in sometimes being a bit to fan servicing, uh, one of the uh, biggest fans uh, that they have, Simon Pegg, wants to return to wants to be put into the Mandalorian if at all possible as Dengar, whom he voiced for the Clone Wars. So that's interesting. Well, I, didn't, I didn't realize he voiced Dengar for the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. yeah, but he also played live action. But hey. You know, everybody, everybody, I, I want to be in a Star Wars film too. I, you know, <laughs> you know uh, can't, can't really blame people. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, when you get to, when you get that gig that it's like, you know, you get that stage. I mean, he did it already. He did. He was Uncle Flood for all of 10 minutes in Force Awakens. So I'm pretty sure he wants something that's more of a recurring role because that, you know, I mean, hey, you get to come back for a Star Wars show every year. That'd be pretty awesome. Yeah, uh, one thing that wasn't on your news list, I and I, I threw it to you guys. I was reading every morning. I wake up and I, you know, flip through Google News, and they've got you know the headlines, and they have the for you section, and then on the for you section, they had um, it was one of those J.J. Uh, Abrams episode eight script leaked with a question yeah. mark. Yeah. Did you guys yeah. did you guys read that? Yes. Yes. Was, was I was I was I wrong or under caffeinated when I said that was awful? That was awful. I mean, put it this way: it, it you know sometimes we make the comment about fan fiction and in a negative light, and trust me, I've read plenty of it to know that there's good and average and bad. This one leaned more towards the bad. Cause and how could anybody like say that if that, if that was J.J. Abrams? That was J.J. Abrams as a seventh grader. I mean. Mm -hmm. I don't know, Dave. You're you're about laughing here. So, what what are your thoughts on it? I agree. <laughs> I mean, I mean, it really just sort of tells you what you need to know about the legitimacy of it. That it was so bad. Um, it's like, yeah, that's not real. I mean, if, I, it, if like you said, if it were real, good lord, I'm losing but, respect for people. Well, you know, if if it was like. Count your lucky stars, those people who didn't like The Last Jedi. This is what, if this is real, this is what could have been. Holy crap. I mean, it was, it was awful. And one of the droids was like named after the president of China. That's when it was just like, okay, this is got to be a Russian bot. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it totally, it's, um, no, I'm just going to move on. I'm going to give you the last bit of news. So well, keep no, I, I, but I want, I want everybody listening to this to now just go and Google, you know, J.J. Abrams episode eight script. And see if you can find it. It's just, I mean, it is terrible. So, mm -hmm. anyway. It's its basically, it's like when I say the worst elements of fan fiction, it's all that. I mean, we have oh, fan service at the wazoo and that thing. And I did like, the one thing I'll tell you, I did like is they left on a cliffhanger. But, geez. Anyway, so last bit of news, and on a nicer pair and a bit of news, 
the top two slots for the most streamed digital original shows in April went to The Clone Wars and The Mandalorian, which, I mean, we talk about the demand for Star Wars at this time, and, you know, it's pretty high. I mean, number one spot went to Star Wars The Clone Wars with over 139 million average daily uh, demand expressions. I guess is the metric that they're using. It took over the number one spot in April with 67 million, you know, expressions. And The Mandalorian was some far behind with like 25.2% number. So basically everybody was on the train for Clone Wars and, and on The Mandalorian. Now, was that just on Disney Plus or was that on all streaming all, services? All streaming services. Holy cow, really? Yeah, yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, uh, I'm trying to remember what else was big in April. I mean, besides ESPN's The Last Dance documentary and... Um, that's about it. I mean, there Tiger wasn't much King was, was Tiger King in May or? Uh, no, I think Tiger King was March. May have been February or March when it came out. But here's actually, the deal is that every, everybody was being locked in their houses. So it's like everything was fair game. I mean, really, it's like if you haven't watched Stranger Things, you could like get you know caught up on that. I'm, that's kind of, but uh, the Star Wars fans like really kicked the door down. But it's also, I mean, I mean, let's face it. April was big in terms of you were getting the end of the Clone Wars, and a lot, I think a lot of a lot of fans did the same thing I did. As the Clone Wars was ending, they were going back to watching stuff like The Mandalorian to see how stuff fit, to see how um, everything connected. Plus, you know, if you're stuck at home and you're trying to catch up on stuff, that's now's your time. That's your window. What I like about it is when we talked about um, that period when Revenge of the Sith came out and how, at least for the people on this show, the three of us kind of stepped away, stepped back from Star Wars at that point and kind of, oh, well, you know, it's over and done with. And then Clone Wars comes out and none of us really went for it at that point. We, we got into it later. Um, I just... I think it's kind of interesting that right now it seems like people are still really into this universe and this world. Um, and it's like there's no finality to it um, that there may have been after episode three. And I think like after episode three is like, I think I remember even saying that to somebody. I was like, well, now I can die basically, you know, because I've seen all the movies in the saga. <laughs> Uh, I didn't have that kind of reaction with nine um, rise of Skywalker. And I, I don't know if that says something about that movie, if it says something about what we know about Disney and how they're going to keep churning out content because they paid all this money for it. And it's this valuable property. They're going to keep going back to the well. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's kind of philosophically, it's interesting to just step back from it and think about, where the fan base is right now versus where they were 15 years ago. Uh, it's, it's an interesting, I mean, put it this way. If you are one of the executives at Disney who pushed for the acquisition of Lucasfilm, right now you're saying to yourself, boy, we hit a home run with that. Because even though they paid $4 billion, and that's not a small bit of chump change, they are... Uh, raking it in, whether it's the movies, the TV shows, the streaming, you know, Star Wars helping them anchor Disney Plus, particularly as they're seeing competition from other streaming services coming out. Uh, and it's only going to help anchor their parks and do everything, you know, 
to keep their uh, profiles and portfolios high. Yeah, well, uh, another thing that has been uh, announced just in the last uh, day or so is they're actually not only do, not only are things happening on Disney Plus, but their uh, the Star Wars YouTube channel is going to be um, having a new I, I don't know what you call it a game show. I don't know. It's, it's kind of uh, yeah, it is. It's kind of like a game show. It's called Jedi Temple Challenge, and uh, I you know I tell you what, we'll just. Uh, you know, they've got a whole uh, little kind of teaser clip um, on their on the Star Wars YouTube channel that we'll, we'll go ahead and play it right now, and uh, we'll come back to it on the other side. For generations, the Jedi Order have been the guardians of peace and justice in the galaxy. Now, Padawan teams must endure three challenging rounds of Jedi trials to become Jedi Knights. From the strength trials on a distant world to the knowledge trials aboard a Jedi Star Cruiser. Your answer is correct. Yes. Only one team will have what it takes to enter the Jedi Temple. Use the force, use the force! Face the mysteries inside and prove their bravery to become Jedi Knights. You got this! I believe in you! Go, 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 hurry! Push in this red, push in this red! Will the Padawans be tempted by the dark side? <laughs> or keep their minds focused on the light side of the Force. May the Force be with you always. Now, there's only one thing for you to do. This is my favorite part. Punch it! Don't give up! Trust in the Force. By the right of the Council, by the will of the Force, it's time, time to, to face, face your Jedi Temple Challenge. Yay. So, so there you have it. Um, and the first thing, as I'm watching, I start giggling. Um, well, first of all, I, I start giggling because you know they're they got these really positive kids. I believe in you, and oh, come on, you use the force. I want to hear that one kid going, "Come on, Karen, will you get with it?" <laughs> That'd be a Sith Lord, future Sith Lord. But, uh, but I, what I think is awesome about it is it's hosted by Ahmed Best. And it's yeah. like, it, talk about, you know, you know he, he uh, actually was at Star Wars Celebration um, a year ago and, um, and got a great ovation when he came on stage. You know, the, the fan base who has really re-embraced him. And, you know, I think... And it's just awesome to see him back in Star Wars, um, and especially in this role. Um, I don't know what do you, what do you guys what do you guys think about this? It looks kind of fun. I think I'll, I think I'll watch it. I think I'm a little disappointed that it's uh, just a um, internet series and, and not on Disney Plus. Um, like that Disney Plus. I mean, they could they could use the content. I I, I think. Um, the original series could go on there. Maybe that format was all wrong for um, standard television. I don't know. But I'm with you. Uh, I, I love seeing Ahmad Best um, get to stretch himself a little bit and be part of this world again in a really positive, um, positively framed show, right? Um, this is all about, yeah, you can do it, like you said. And and so like for him especially, I think that's been important 
uh, he's talked about, you know, mental health struggles and, you know, the, the bad reception that he's had to deal with for a number of years. And so this is a positive guy. Um, and he's embraced positivity and this, this kind of feels like the perfect fit for him. You know, a little bit on that. Sorry, Fredo, before you say the other thing that, that struck me as I was watching this is like, I also kind of know what they're doing, what, what Disney and Lucasfilm are doing here. And that is, Hey kids, see these holocrons. You can buy them at Doc Ondar's if you go to Galaxy's Edge. And hey, you like these lightsabers? Well, go to you know Savvy's Workshop. You know, uh, so there's some product placement there, but uh, but like I said, overall it looked it looked fun and positive. So Fredo. So no, actually, I was going to read a bit from the press release because it answers the reason why it's not on Disney Plus. And uh, Lucasfilm's senior director of online content, Mickey Capoferri, states that uh. Uh, his quote is, with so many children and families home and looking to Star Wars for hope and entertainment, we wanted to make Jedi Temple Challenge available to as many young fans as possible by airing the series on our Star Wars Kid Network for everyone to enjoy. So the idea is, because this is going to be on their YouTube channel, so you don't need to subscribe to Disney+. Plus. You can just go to your, their YouTube channel, the Star Wars Kids YouTube channel, and you'll be able to catch the first two episodes and then subsequently a new one every time they drop. So yeah, and that uh, comes out June 3rd, it said. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks, it re- also reminded me like, you can't do that on television, the old Nickelodeon, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I'm waiting for little Padawans to get slimed by something, you know, but. Uh, double dare. Uh, yeah, double dare. That's right, double dare, yeah, okay, it was double dare, not, not yeah, not you. But, by the way, to correct y'all, uh, Ahmed Bess is not gonna be hosting, he's gonna be playing the role of Jedi Master Kelleran Beck, guiding the players through three rounds of trials. Uh, and then he's going to be accompanied by Mary Holland from Veep, who's going to be voicing a protocol droid called AD3. And then to uh, give a voice to the dark side of the Force, they brought uh, one Sam Whitworth to replace the role of Darth Maul. Is Sam Whitworth ever going to be have to do anything else other than just... Sam Maul? You thought yeah. he was done after, after Clone Wars. Not yet. But it's a good, People it's a can't new... get enough mall. <laughs> It'll be interesting also to see, uh, Dave, especially you're the one with, uh, you know, three young kids, if how they dig this as well. So um, you'll have to give us a report. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, first two episodes drop next week. And uh, it'll be fun to see uh, how it goes because it's an interesting idea, not just the challenge aspect for the kids, but also how they're going to mix in uh, Sam Woodward and the protocol, and Mary Holland playing the protocol droid. So, how those two, how those Star Wars elements mix in, and the fun. So, uh, Dave's frozen again on our call, but you, we got to do a screenshot because he looks very happy. He looks very <laughs> happy. Um, he's, he's a happy guy. So, uh, well, then you and I will continue this conversation while he gets back on the call. But uh, let's move on to uh, how about uh, Disney Gallery? We have. Uh, uh, since we've last talked about it, there have been two more episodes dropped. One was the cast, and the other one was about the technology. So, um, um, so what? Well, let's just take just real quick. What do you think about the uh, the one with the cast? It was interesting that the the strongest voice in that episode was Carl Weathers, because it was it was um, 
Uh, it was surprising, not in the fact that, I mean, he's not. He's one of those guys who's been around for more than 40 years. He's been in some of the biggest movies and productions Hollywood has ever done. Um, and yet, he's some, so he sort of became like the senior father figure for uh, actors like Gina Carano, who are coming on and, you know, being involved in such a effects-heavy production. I think, I think, however, they get, it was like, I wonder if they realized how much of a kind of backhanded compliment they were giving when they were talking about Carl Weathers. His uh, character was originally supposed to be in like full mask and, you know, prosthetics, things like that. And they're like, after they heard the voice, they're like, we can't hide this guy behind a mask. We've got to show the face. If I was Pedro Pascal, I'd be sitting there going, hey. <laughs> which, which, by the way, a little another little bit of news I saw today was that um, uh, the Golden Globes are changing their rules that for next year that um, you can't just be a voice actor and be nominated for a role. They're calling it kind of the Mandalorian rule. But which anyway, is, we can we can talk about that later. But as you know, which is not just odd to me, just from the standpoint of Pedro was. I mean, it's interesting because he acknowledges. Look, there was me myself as the Mandalorian. There was the shooting uh, double. So the guy who was uh, forget their names, the guy who was trained to be the sharpshooter, the gunslinger. So whenever the shooting sequences happened, that'd be the guy inside the costume. And then they had the martial arts expert. So when there would be the hand-to-hand -hand combat sections, that'd be the guy inside the costume. But it's all three of them kind of portraying this one role. Anyway, like I, said, I just thought it was kind of a backhanded compliment. To like, you can't put a mask on this guy. It's like, you left a mask on the star of the show. But anyway, Dave, what would you think of the, the cast? I loved his ego about it, too, though. That was the funniest part of that to me. Where he's like, you can't just hide this face. <laughs> <laughs> because they were like, yeah, we can't hide his face, can we? And he's like, I, I was wondering when you would figure that out, you know? And it, um, that's just hilarious. One of these elder statesmen like this who just has seen it all. But still. it was interesting that they were planning on killing him off when Mandalorian shoots up at the end of three. Yeah. Because that was his arc. His arc was going to be done by then. And yet, then they went, no, we can't do that. We got to keep him alive. And find a way to bring him back. He was really the star of this episode. Like mm -hmm. they, he, he really got to shine and I thought that was fun. I was uh, actually surprised how little we heard from Pedro Pascal. Um, but um, you know, um, I didn't, I didn't really feel like I learned anything, I guess, from this episode. It was, I, I don't know. It's uh, didn't, I just didn't really feel like I got anything new. I didn't already know. It was, Actually, it was fun to watch him talk, but there was one bit of new which we discussed uh, a couple of weeks ago, which is the idea of the silhouette that Bryce Dallas Howard's engineer Gina Carano says. Um, Kathleen Kennedy told her the idea of you can put the silhouette of each one of these characters up, and you'll be able to recognize instantly, no matter which Star Wars character it is. So you can put three PO, three PO silhouette up, and you know it's three PO. Versus Darth Vader's, versus Luke's, versus Han's, you know, versus Leia's. And Would you be able to tell the difference between the Mandalorian and Boba Fett? No. <laughs> With, except for the, it's jetpack and rifle. Yeah, I know. Yeah, uh, exactly. Well, that's my point. There would be a way to tell. 
but uh, no, like, and I was also, it's also striking just how humble um, Gina Carano is. Um, mm -hmm. I thought she did an excellent job in the in the uh, season, but she was, you know, kind of a, she was just very soft spoken, very like, oh my goodness, I'm just lucky to be here type of thing. And I mean, she, like I said, I thought she was awesome. So it does, it kind of shows kind of the, and this is another kind of feather in the cap of John Favreau, his ability to kind of go, this is the right person for this role and connect them so that it kind of makes the work of the directors once they get on set even easier. Yeah, that was one thing they mentioned too, which is Gina was able to kind of pick the brains of the more established actors um, and get a lot of guidance through them. And I think Favreau or somebody else even mentioned that that was intentional. Um, well, well there, was an, there was a point in either this episode or the one before it, and I sent you guys a message when I said the key word in this episode is coach. You put that in quotation mark because uh, Filoni call, refers to Favreau as said coach here, then has me go and set this scene up. I, I, I still think we said it before. I think this, that this series is John Favreau training all sorts of people. You know, he, he's coaching actors. He's coaching, you know, directors. He's, you know, I, I think it's, he's got a broader, um, uh, task than just creating a show because you could, you could load, you know, the cast with, I mean, everybody wants to be in star Wars. You could load the cast with people who don't need coaching. You know, I mean, you could find all sorts of people who are just ready to go drop of a hat, um, director wise, actor wise. Um, but they are, I, I, it's like, we've got to train some new blood, I think is what, you know, they're looking at. And I think they're also trying to capture that, you know, a new hope. We don't, you know, yeah, we know who Carrie Fisher is, but we've never really seen her do anything, you know, or, you know, yeah, we know who Harrison Ford is because he was an American graffiti, but we really haven't seen him do much more than that. So I think they're trying to get those quote unquote unknown actors, um, you know, coached up. I just, I don't know. What do you guys think about it? I just thought it was really striking when I heard him use the word coach. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, and we've been talking about that, how you're essentially using this as a kind of a proving ground for people, um, especially with the directors. Uh, and, and so it's like, let them direct an episode or two of this show, kind of cut their teeth, learn more about the universe and what we want to do with it. Um, and then maybe eventually give them a feature film. And I think like when you talk about the coaching side of that, um, of, of, well, we're not just going to let them sink or swim, um, though there's an element of that. Um, I think there's a lot of intentional direction to where it's like, I want, this is what you can do with this. Let me tell you about this technique. Let me tell you what we're trying to convey here. Um, and, and I, you know, it's really good to see you know, with, especially at the director level. But you're right. I mean, it, it's obviously happening at the actor level, too. Um, and you're basically creating this stable of incredible creative people who are now affiliated with this universe in some way. So if you want to go back to them later on, you know what you're going to get. The cynic, yeah, the cynic in me wants to say, compared to 
kind of like the, what John did for the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where they built out a whole infrastructure of writers, directors, and actors that they could call in to drop into any one show or any one movie. Kind of like uh, like you saw that like you meet Falcon in Ant Man, or you might meet uh, you might have Agents of Shield and Hawkeye may drop in for an episode or. Said Lady Sith may drop in for an episode because that's part of the, the the fun that your creation can give to the fans. Is you can have an episode in uh, Mandalorian where Ahsoka turns up, or you could have an episode in Ahsoka series series where the Mandalorian shows up or Cad Bane shows up. So uh, because you've, if you've established you've done your role, you've established all these actors and characters. Uh, but it's also it's important I think for them to do this because. If they want to continue out producing stuff, they can't just simply be trusting. Okay, we're gonna have, um, we're gonna pick the right guy every time because that could prove quite difficult as they find out in making the sequel trilogy. Yeah, it's kind of like when Arnold visited Mrs. Garrett on the Facts of Life. You know, it was that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, but so I think um, what I. The one I did learn a lot about, I was really geeked out over, was the the technology one. Mm -hmm. um, and a, a, just a couple things I want to hit on here. Of course, they talk about uh, you know how they we've we've talked about before how they they film this all for the most part indoors with LED screens, and we'll talk about that more here in a second. Um, but in listening to another podcast, the Resistance broadcast, Lacey Gillerin reminded me I forgot that John Knoll created Photoshop. I mean, it's, you know, when you think about, just, again, just when you talk about all the patents that Lucasfilm owns, but, you know, if John Knoll invented Photoshop. Uh, but anyway, that was, that was one interesting thing. Um, but the other one was that none of this is proprietary technology that they're using. So it's not like Lucasfilm is going to make a gazillion dollars now because everybody's got to use their technology. It's all pretty much off-the-shelf stuff because they're using game engine rendering they're using you know led screens you know so i don't know what you what you guys think i'll let you guys talk well i uh i enjoyed it we've again we've been looking at this um they, ever since they started showing behind the scenes photos and they were writing there were an art there was an article that came out last fall i think um, that talked about this technology um it's so fascinating because we've talked about it from the perspective of George and what he wanted to do and, and kind of like how he wanted to make this, make a, a Star Wars television show and he couldn't do it because he couldn't do it cheaply enough. And they finally figured out a technique that honestly looks better than green screen um because of the lighting um that they're using and the lighting effects that are that are able to shine through at one point during this episode they just like lit it up like it was like they were on the surface of the sun <laughs> you could just see all the shadows being cast uh from that and um kind of as if to like punctuate like just how powerful this technology can be and uh yeah i mean I w i'm with you i really enjoyed seeing like them pulling the curtain back and seeing kind of like what actually goes into this um why does this show look as good as it does but um, you can't you can't get there 
until, again, they're always still waiting for technology to, to catch up because you can't get there with the TV technology of even 2010. You know, you know what I mean? We've all, you know, most of us now have like 4K TVs hanging on their walls and stuff like that. So, you know, technology is getting, you know, more powerful and cheaper and things like that. But, you know, you, you can't, so you're at a right moment when to put a bunch of LED screens all around you is affordable. But then I never even thought about when you talk about it's better than green screen. They said, you know, you do something in green screen, you got Mando wearing a helmet, then somebody's job has to be going through every single frame and getting the green out of green reflection out of the helmet. And so now it's just, you don't have to do that. You know, it's just like, because the reflections are supposed to be there. Now, I think uh, the first thing that kind of hit me was when he started talking about using video game technology because and then I kind of went, well, of course, it makes sense that they will use that because they're right. Uh, you know, think back to kind of the 8-bit, eight, 16-bit video game technology. That was mostly, you know, backgrounds that repeated themselves. You know, you'd be playing as a character, and even though you'd be moving from one telescreen to the other, most of the background until you change levels would stay the same, it just cycle. And so that's a concept that's been with video games since the 80s. And it's just, as the technology has gotten better, they've had to become more powerful and more descriptive in their abilities. So the idea of borrowing that to develop a virtual set uh, to do so makes a lot of sense because uh, in terms of the lighting, now they don't have to, you know, I think the one thing that kind of hit me was if you're trying to film a scene in a sunrise or a sunset, you have a window. You know, if you're trying to film outdoors, you have a specific window which you got that perfect lighting. And if your actor's not on cue, or if you need to reset something, congratulations, you just blew a whole day. You got to wait till the next day. Here in this set, it allows them to just reset everything, go back again. Yeah, or if weather gets in the way, you know, the other. The other thing, and they were kind of doing this on The Last Jedi a little bit. I remember them showing, um, you know, when they were like in um, Snoke's throne room, everything was everything was green screen, but they would hold up a tablet and they would see exactly what the set was going to be behind them. And they could move the tablet almost like if you have VR goggles on. And that's mm -hmm. what this is doing. It's like, you know, you create the environment three-dimensionally so that you can, quote unquote, turn the camera. and you, you know, the doorways behind you or Baby Yoda's over there. Or... Yeah, I, yeah. I, you know, it just the, you know, like you said, the difference is that they're projecting it now. Um, instead of it showing up on like a little VR display, it's on the walls, it's on the ceiling. Um, and so uh, I loved hearing from the actors too about how they're able to just immerse themselves in this world in, in such a better way. And um, I think it was uh, Carl who was talking about how you don't have to worry about if you're all of the actors are imagining the same thing, you know, like you're not, you know, like uh, maybe so-and-so is imagining a pterodactyl flying by and so-and-so is imagining something else, you know, and it puts you in a different state of mind and a different emotional place. Um, if you're not all on the same page. And he said that it was just a beautiful thing that they could all be in that place together. 
Yeah, he mentions riding the boat in episode eight and being surrounded by lava. And he goes like, no, no, don't, don't step out. And it's like, wait a minute. Like in his own mind, bought into the visual effect because the visual effect had been created already. So you can kind of project the, the visual effects onto the screens, into the set, put the actors in it. All of a sudden, they're all responding to the same thing. But you're filming the same thing. So also on Disney Plus is a, a show called Imagineering. You all mm -hmm. need to watch that too because the person who actually started this whole idea was Walt Disney with his idea of circle vision, mm -hmm. you know, where he wanted something that you sat and you had three, you know, 360 degrees of screens. And I, I start thinking about, you know, the Google Street View technology. I'm just thinking about how movies could be made now. You could have somebody take a camera and walk around the city of New Orleans and then go back to Hollywood and get your two actors just to stand in this, you know, volume, as they called it. And they could be walking down the streets of New Orleans and having their conversation. So it's, uh, it's really, I think, going to turn movie making on its head. You know, especially when you're right now in a time where you can't really send a lot of people to a big set, you know, to, you know, on location somewhere, but maybe sending two people with a mask to go film the, the exterior stuff and then people do it on a soundstage, you know, but again, nobody's, nobody's making money on this. It's not like, it's not proprietary. You know, that's what's, it's, this is all like, this is all just, you know, you know, uh, open source stuff. I think uh, the interesting thing is going to be, I mean, I'm sure other studios will consider building it, and some will. I just think the, the, the know-how, the, the ability to make it see, appear seamless is what's going to be the differences in studios because Disney is so far ahead right now. You know, they got the they got not just the, the, the volume built, but they got the people who know how to run the volume uh, because it was interesting, John Favreau saying, yeah, they'd be shooting something with uh, the primary uh, uh, production team on a set. And I'd just say, okay, well, we're going to do some quick pickups for with the B team. Come over here. We'll go into the volume. And within the half an hour, 45 minutes, set everything up, and they'll be filming. Isn't it interesting? We were talking in just a couple episodes ago about how, you know, when A New Hope came out, it was they're answering – a need you know they they had to invent technology that because they needed to do something that didn't exist and so they created you know this whole you know motion uh the, the whole motion control cameras and they were building computers and stuff like that and then you know since jurassic park we really haven't had that you know huge innovation now i think we're in i, I think we've left a plateau and starting, you know, going on a new, in a new area now. This is kind of exciting. Yeah, I gonna, yeah, I was going to say, you'll know that this technology is ubiquitous or it's, ever, you know, it's been embraced when you see it being used for romantic comedy or serious dramas, which I think is going to end up being, you know, its eventual, per, you know, goal. You know, kind of like everybody, you know, it, you know, makes a big deal about big CGI special effects, and digital backgrounds on uh, action or science fiction films, but they don't consider them in, you know, dramas. They don't consider, for example, in something like Magnolia when Tom Cruise is on a street and they had to digitally create the street, you know, and everybody goes, well, you would do that? It's like, 
Yeah, because it's easier and cheaper. It's going to be a lot easier and cheaper to put actors in something like the volume and recreate New Orleans, like I said, than it is to go shut down the French Quarter for a day or two days, you know, and, and try to get through filming in the 90 degree heat of uh, New Orleans in the summer. Exciting yeah. stuff. So, uh, yeah, so what's the, what's the next uh, one that comes out tomorrow? Um, comes after technology. Is there another episode? Oh, yeah, yeah, there's another episode. Hold on a second. Which, by um, the way, as you're looking that up, the other interesting thing was I, there's a striking difference between John Favreau and George Lucas because um, George Lucas once, I, if I'm remembering right, he did say, you know, we could, you know, we can fix that in post, basically, you know, whereas John, Fa you know, so they put green screen everywhere, you know, and then, of course, he would do the whole supercut, take, you know, one person's best performance, put with another person's best performance. John Favreau said he learned in making Iron Man, if I can shoot it correctly to begin with, then the CGI works. And, and I think that I, I will say for the most part in watching all these Marvel movies, um, the CGI does not, is not glaring to me except for in the fight scenes. But um, otherwise you totally, you totally buy that it's Iron Man. You totally buy, you know, that's that's any of them. But anyway, what's the name of the episode? So, so episode five is titled Practical and is discussing and celebrating the artistry behind the practical models, effects, and animatronic create creatures. So all the droids, all the, you know, digital, all the physical yeah. practical effects. So they're going to call it Baby Yoda? Yeah, well, the Baby Yoda episode. And IG. <laughs> And IG and all, you know, seeing the cantina and all the old droids. So, yeah, we're going to get all cool. the the other half of the effect uh, coin. Right on. Well, so that was Disney Gallery. And uh, now I'm going to toss it to Dave to get us started. We're going to start a uh, kind of a recurring uh, discussion um, on Star Wars Rebels. Now that we've gotten through Clone Wars... And we're talking about, you know, I guess all sorts of things that are connected. Um, we're, it's maybe time to go back and visit Rebels, so I'll toss it to Dave. Yeah, I've just been struck by the like, conversations that I've had with people that uh, I'm going to rewatch Rebels now. Like, that was <laughs> a really common refrain after uh, watching The Clone Wars. And I say rewatch, but a lot of people are watching for the first time, too. Um, so I thought it would be fun to just kind of go over some of our um, non-spoiler uh, thoughts on the show, uh, just in general, very general terms, so that if anybody's like kind of on the fence or they haven't watched it yet, we can kind of give them uh, maybe a reason to go watch it. Um, and then after that, we can just kind of open it up and go into some spoiler talk if we want to and uh, just go ham on it. and. Um, uh, I, are you guys rewatching it right now? I, Fredo, I think you said you already binged through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Basically, I because uh, I'd seen episodes, you know, primarily uh, not caught up on it late. Uh, you know, I wasn't catching Disney Channel too much a few years ago, so um, I don't know, to my shame. Uh, but no, I, after Clone Wars ended, I went and immediately started watching Rebels, and I binged power right through. All four seasons, I think, in like four days. I just was like, okay, next one, next one. Because 
for those who you know, it's only it's a half hour TV show, so it's only about 24, 25 minutes with credits and everything. So they're pretty easy to digest. And particularly early on, it was an easy series to just next episode, next episode, next episode, because they're very light. And I think we discussed that in one of the, when we were mentioning that I was doing it. There's a point in season one when it sh- the tone shifts and becomes darker. And at that point, you ended up watching, you know, going through the episodes more out of concern than you are uh, because they're so light and easy. Yeah, for me, um, I, it's one of those things that's kind of my, you know, it's like when I'm laying in bed and it's like just kind of nodding off time, I, I will just kind of watch an episode because it's, like I said, 20 minutes, you know, to get through an episode. Um, you know, for me, it was interesting because when I found out Rebels was coming out, I hadn't watched The Clone Wars. Um and so I watched Rebels first, and then that kind of got me into watching the Clone Wars because everybody was so excited about this character. And I was like, okay, cool. What's this about? So it made me go watch Clone Wars. And so then I became interested in that. I will say this. Um, first of all, I really enjoyed Rebels. But I will say it was a bit of bait and switch because um, if you know, just by the name of it, you're expecting this big story about the start of the rebellion. Which, by the way, let me pause for a second and get back to just something I was thinking about earlier. Have you guys even thought about the possibility that in a Cassian Andor series that Enfys Nest could be in there? And I how, don't think I have, I but I like it. Yeah, okay. So now I got I got your brain spinning. I was just thinking about that. I was like, oh my gosh, that is absolutely possible. Same time frame. Okay. But anyway, so I could bring it back. Um, you're thinking about it's the start of the rebellion. Which it is, but that's just kind of the backdrop, and it becomes a lot more, um, uh, I guess, a lot more focused on the Force than anybody was even anticipating. Um, which kind of at one point made people kind of upset because they're like, why does everything have to be about the Force? And it's like, that's kind of at the heart of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm, I'm sorry, but that, that it just is. I mean, when Obi-Wan says it's an energy field that, you know, that connects all living things, you know, it's like that was it, it's at the core of this whole universe. But but I was surprised that it went way as far down that road as it did. Um, I mean, really, really, in some places, way far down that road. Um, but, you know, so it was, it was interesting. Um, the you know the the animation if they're in space the animation is awesome but when they're on a planet someplace then it's like it was kind of a you could tell that what their budget was you know what i mean um so but i never i think the stories were good um i think the you know the the characters were all very enjoyable um so, but yeah, I, so I, I really dug it, um, but I was surprised. I thought it was just a little bit of bait and switch. I think it makes sense um, in, a, in a way, given the fact that one of the characters when we start out is a Jedi or is a former Padawan. Um, and one of the characters is Force sensitive. Um, and so you begin to... As as far as character development goes, if you're going to take these characters along a path, which is kind of the point of storytelling, 
Um, it just would have been natural for them to go into some of that. But it, it really goes deep, like you're saying. Um, there's There are very spiritual episodes. There are episodes that expand on the lore of the Force a lot. Um, but I'll echo what you said in that I really... I love these characters and that's like one of the things that jumped out at me immediately. This show grabbed me way quicker than clone wars did. And, and that's interesting because clone wars had the benefit of using these pre-established characters. Um, you know, you, you would think you already have attachment to Anakin and Obi-Wan and these other characters. Um, and either through the course of the storytelling, you know, Filoni's maybe finding his feet. Um, maybe the characters aren't portrayed in quite the same way as we remembered in the movies. You know, for whatever reason, it just it didn't connect with me in the same way that Rebels did right out of the shoot. Um, and like I have this, you know, there's this funny thing that me and my wife do. We she's a big fan too. Um, we'll watch it together and we'll always comment to each other. Oh, I really like so-and-so. <laughs> it just keeps happening over and over. You know, I really like Hera or, I, you know, I really like Kanan or whomever. Um, I have a, I'm sorry. I have a theory yeah. because I'm kind of the same way. It, you know, it took me a while to warm up to Clone Wars, even though I watched Rebels first. Uh, took me a while to warm up to Clone Wars, but I, again, it comes back to what I was saying on our EU episode and what I've said about um, in defense of The Force Awakens. I think what what hooked people like us right away is that you're seeing, and I'm using air quotes, real TIE fighters. You're, you know, you're hearing some of those same special effects from sounds from, um, you know, A New Hope. You're seeing real you know normal stormtroopers you're you know you're so it's taking us back to that familiar place that makes you feel a little bit more at ease with these new characters I, that's I, I that's what i think um i mean it's just a, it's just a a comfort you know it's like i'm around people that and things that i understand and i'll follow these new stories whereas clone wars yeah i'm not as familiar with you know these people because these movies haven't been out for very long so it takes me a little bit to warm up to that. Um, I will say another thing that one, I, I still wonder, and I can't remember if I said this on the show or if I said it in our in our group chat. Where would would Rebels look the same if um, Clone Wars would have been able to end properly to begin with? Because I think it seems like Filoni was, you know. We we brought back characters that maybe didn't necessarily need to come back, but just because he didn't have that closure, maybe know. maybe maybe so. I actually like the way that he manages to introduce those characters into this story, uh, as well as characters from other parts of Star Wars. It's it's funny because it starts as a very small show. It's focused on one planet. It's focused on one small crew. It's focused on particularly uh, the path that Ezra, the lead, has to take. And then slowly through the first season particularly, you start expanding and expanding and expanding. And then as the show goes from there, you start gaining a lot more of the characters and 
connections that to build to the wider Star Wars you know, universe. Uh, so I don't know that he wouldn't have brought them in at some point, whether or not uh, Clone Wars had finished on its time. I love the way that he managed to bring them in because it's a uh, it makes sense in a, in a weird sort of way. It, it feels natural uh, without them taking over, which I think that's the other that's the other danger you could always have. You always bring a, a famous important character. You know, there's a few instances where you bring super major characters into the storyline and it'd be real easy to let them just run over your show and your small cast of characters and he's always cognizant of making sure that these are, you know, those are the special guest stars in your episode and not your leads. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it would have impacted because also just the tone of them is so different. I, I found that Clone Wars as it progressed got darker and more oppressive. Which well, that makes, makes that makes sense, yeah. It makes sense, yeah, when you consider the story you're telling. it. You know, like the first season of Clone Wars is very, you know, adventure-y. And by the time we get to season seven, we are very much in a dark place. Uh, whereas I think that Clone Wars found more of a balance between light and dark. Yeah, there's moments when it gets dark, but it never quite reaches the depths of darkness, even with, some of the biggest characters. You mean get. you mean rebels? You said Clone Wars. Yeah. You mean oh, rebels, sorry, right? rebels? Yeah, rebels. Yes, it doesn't so, get. What so is Dave, uh, you I always keep coming back because you're the only one who has kids. Uh, God bless you. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Rebels starts off very kid friendly, very light. I mean, really, you know, because I mean, I mean, we all grew up with, you know, there, there's, you know heavy things in the cartoons we watched and the shows we watched, but, but then rebels um, towards the end gets really pretty heavy, not necessarily dark. There's some dark moments like Fredo mentioned, but, but it, did you find it like, Oh crud, how am I going to, is this, this is going to be a tough episode to explain to, you know, to the kids or did you, or did you find that it was kid friendly the whole way through? I mean, I think, like what I'll go back to is what you were talking about a few minutes ago, which is like these tie-ins that you have to the original trilogy. And those kind of act as a kind of grounding for people. Um, you still kind of feel safe in a way. Um, at least I think the I'm speaking for my kids here um, more so than myself, but um they're all the cues that you talked about with the TIE fighters and the X-Wings and all that stuff, the sound effects. Um, they're the musical cues. They, I think they borrow more heavily from the movies than Clone Wars did. Um, mm -hmm. And then obviously, the, you know, you've got these character cameos. Um, there was a Wookiee episode early on in the run of the series and, uh, you know, my kids just adored that. Um, and I think, like, those kinds of tie-ins, those cool little tie-ins to the original trilogy really ground it and really make you feel comfortable and at ease. And, like, this is Star Wars. This is my Star Wars. Um, regardless of how dark some of it ends up getting. And if you think about it, the movies, I mean... The movies themselves are pretty dark. You look at something like Revenge of the Sith, obviously, um, 
Rogue One. It's like well, my kid can sit through that. He can, they can sit through something like this too. So. Yeah, I just I just remember my my boss at the time when Rebels came out. I, I'd mentioned it, and he said, "Hey, is this you know is this good for for kids?" He said because my son was you know was really little and he was really into Star Wars and. So we started watching the Clone Wars and they saw a clone like shooting somebody in the face and it's like, you know, totally freaked him out. I was like, yeah, no, Rebels isn't that way. Rebels is a lot more, you know, friendly. But then as the seasons went on, it did, it, it, I mean, there was, you know, it was you know, a little bit, like I said, just a little bit more, um, I guess, uh, wasn't as clear good and bad as clear you know you know there would just be some i could see some difficult conversations of you know gee why did ezra do that let's talk about the choice he made and you know let's talk about why you shouldn't you know do blah 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 you know instead of because not every episode ends with yay they saved the day and all is well you know yeah no i think what's interesting there's because Obviously, given the time period that we're talking about, and so and the fact that they're facing off against the Empire, and some of its more darker, sinister agents, uh, there's a lot of tragedy and a lot of darkness underneath. Now, one of the things that I did, didn't sync with me until I played Jedi Fallen Order is just how dark and difficult some of the conversations could be around the Inquisitors, you know, the dark side users that chase Ezra and the crew of the Ghost. Because they don't really delve into all it takes to make one there like they did in Jedi Fallen Order. So those ideas are there, but they don't necessarily get put in your face. Whereas, you know, they're allowed to do that in properties that are more uh, older kid, if not adult oriented. So that you you can't know, okay, there's a reason why this bad guy is the bad guy. You don't need to know, discuss that in Rebels. But, you, you know, but you still have them present and being a threat. I will say I think that um, this series had one of the best series finales. And I would not just the last episode, but the last probably like three episodes is pretty much mm -hmm. just one episode. It just was just an awesome end to and satisfying end to the series. I mean, um, so I like how they you could tell they were like, we have a beginning middle and end that we're going to get to um they, uh, and they and they they earned that too through the character growth we talked about that um you know you've talked about the the aspects of the force that are touched on but there are a lot of rebellion pieces too um which are really really cool and neat to see like how this um this was a point that fredo brought up earlier this week when we were talking about doing this show he's like about the rebellion the rebellion sort of began as these cells mm -hmm. and grew into this alliance over time. Um, and you can kind of see it unfold on this show. Um, and so like, there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's just a lot of really good meaty star Wars material to sink your teeth into here. And that, that's actually one of the things that, that I was, you know, watching the show. I mean, it makes sense once you watch and go, well, of course, because, we're talking about building an alliance of people to take on the most powerful, evil, dangerous force in the in the galaxy with the Empire. So obviously it wouldn't be easy 
there'd be setbacks, there would be people disagreeing with the mechanism methods. Uh, I, I found that watching Rebels, it enriches the character of somebody like Saul Guerrero, who we saw in Rebel, I mean, sorry, in Rogue One, because you get to see, uh, come to understand and see a fuller, deeper character when you see him here. But and to but kind of to that point as well, I didn't feel as like I said, I you know I watched Rebels before Clone Wars. You really don't have to if you haven't seen Rogue One, you're not going to be left out. If you mm -hmm. haven't watched the Clone Wars, you're not going to be left out. It's kind of like, you know because they do the the storytelling is so well done because like at the end of the first season, there's a big reveal, and like I was like, all right, cool. You know, I was I really I was into the season. But everybody else who had seen Clone Wars was like, oh, my goodness, it's that person. And it's like, mm -hmm. you know, so I was still I, I still enjoyed, you know, so seeing the Clone Wars will only, you know, enhance it as I knock mm -hmm. things over. But you're not you're not going to feel gypped if you haven't seen any of those those other things. You could just start watching. This could be your gateway to Star Wars, really. I agree with that. Yeah, that's a depth of color to the story overall. That if you don't watch it, you don't miss it, but once you watch it, you go, oh my gosh, it makes everything so much better. And that's one of the things I like, because again, you should watch it just for the characters alone, because you do come to appreciate and love the characters for the journeys that they go through, individually as well, collectively, the supporting characters that they pick up along the way, they become both fan favorites and and hated and but it's 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 it does a great job of making the story that you've already seen even deeper and better and vice versa you know mm -hmm. um this the and the, and it really i agree with aaron 100 percent. this show stands on its own two feet um you don't have to have watched literally any other star wars to watch this show mm -hmm. and um I appreciate that about it. Um, it's fu it's funny, you know. It's like people are always asking you, like, what's your favorite, what's your preferred Star Wars movie watching order, you know? And my answer is always a New Hope because it's your best introduction to everything in this yeah. whole universe. Um, but Rebels might be my second choice. I mean, it's it's that good at what it does, and it stands up. At, on its own and I, and I really love that about it no there's actually talk about um rumors kicking around i guess dave filoni has said no but dave filoni has said no to other things before that end up being true um but a, a rebels 2 animated series coming out and it would be i've heard it's going to be more in line with the type of animation from the clone wars this last mm -hmm. season anyway because that if there is one downer like i said before the, like the stuff in space, the, like all the ships and everything is awesome, but the the character animation gets a little clunky at times, and it seems like you're it, it seems like you're watching a Disney XD show, it's like, or the, or or like a you know you have the animation for Frozen, and then you have the animation for Frozen the TV show. You know what I mean with a far less budget, and so. The animation got better in the characters as the seasons went on, but it's just, it's kind of shrecky, you know, from time to time. I think in part the reason for that is because, I mean, season one is just 13 episodes. That's it. 
seasons two through four ballooned, doubled that up in size. They went up to 24. I would imagine they didn't get much more of a bump in terms of budget. So all of a sudden you're producing twice as many episodes for the same cost. So stuff, certain stuff is going to suffer by that. So like some of the sets are going to look, uh, look uh, kind of empty. Some of the stuff's not going to look as detailed or as polished. I still think, you know, the, the, the strength of the story and the strength of the characters is such that you don't mind. As well said. Hey, um, so like, do we want to talk any, um, spoiler discussion if we do? I think we, I think we save the, the spoiler stuff for future episodes. We can start talking, you know, give people a warning, you know, we'll start with maybe season one, you know, next week and get really kind of more into the guts of it. So, you know, we don't want to, if people haven't seen it, you know, we can. You got a week. You got a week. <laughs> you, you can get it done in a week. It, it's you not can. Hard. You really can. It's not a difficult show, and it's surprising. Once you know, once you start watching, you want to keep watching, and then when it's over, you're like, "Oh, can't believe it's done." I, I will say this, and this is not really spoilers. Uh, the voice acting in this series is awesome, especially even for those um, characters who originally portrayed them have died. Mm-hmm. Um, the people that they've got to cover those voices um, did awesome. Um, Can I say who, which one was not surprisingly of my favorite? And I know that he's done uh, voice acting before, but Freddie Prince Jr. as Kanan. I never pictured him as the voice of Kanan Jarrett. I, I I was just thinking that I don't I don't see Freddie Prince Jr. when you hear that voice. You I don't. Mean, so well done. When he was cast, I thought he was going to play the younger Ezra Bridger. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what, why I went there, but maybe it was something to do with his look. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, he does such an amazing job. Um, uh, all the voice actors do an amazing job, though. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just all the characters are great. It's a great show. Everybody should watch it. Yeah. So yeah, so we'll we'll dive deeper into uh, season one next week and uh, um, get into more spoiler stuff and see what we think. So, um, but other than that, uh, anybody got? Uh, do we have any Saints news for for this week? Uh, uh, not 13, quite, not quite Saints news, but it just thirteen thousand fans in the Superdome. <laughs> it's gonna be like Monty Python, yay! <laughs> Well, we'll see how they do that. No, I was going to say it just broke that the Carolina Panthers signed former Saints cornerback Eli Apple. Yeah, I heard that. And we uh, did we did hire uh, we did sign a a new offensive lineman. I can't remember who it is, but it sounded like it's going to be Teron Armstead's backup, which is needed. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the Saints are not doing any like Zoom meetings or anything like that. Uh, they're just Sean and Mickey said stay in shape and show up when camp happens you know i'm of two minds of that i remember when the lockout happened and drew ran all those you know uh practices and everybody showed up and i was like yeah look at our team we're doing all these things and then we end up getting our butts whomped you know like every other game so it didn't do us any good so maybe this will work out i don't know i I don't know i'm still doubtful any of it happens um 
I, I had a, there was a good point earlier today that somebody brought up, which was just like, why aren't they talking about canceling the preseason at this point? Like, why is that not on the table or actually being floated in the public arena? Because it's just, I know it's more money, and I know that that's why, but those games don't mean anything. I mean... Yeah, I, I, the only thing I can see, Britt and I have talked about it a couple of times, is like, you know, um, if if you if you prepare, because nobody knows nobody knows what what next week is going to look like, much less August, much less you know September. Um, so if you plan and just say, you know, no preseason games, and then something happens where it's like, oh crap, we could have had these preseason games. I mean, that is a lot of people that not just money for the NFL, but, you know, people whose job it is to clean the Superdome, whose job it is to, you know, sell hot dogs and things like that. So I, I think you have to, well, I mean, it's like Britt and I trying to think what, what we're going to do. Our Disney trip got canceled. And so we're like, you know, we know how we want to go to Disney. There are certain things we don't want to have to go through, but we know that there's a, a date, you know, that, by this date, if those expectations aren't going to be met, then we're not going to go to Disney, you know, until for, for a while. So I think the NFL is just, and anybody has to wait as long as humanly possible just for those, just, just in case. I, I don't know. Um, I think to your point, I, I think it's a lot easier to say we're planning on business as usual. And then if they have to trim anything, well, we're trimming, you know, the fat we're, we're getting rid of the, of the preseason games, you know, doing that closer to that date because it allows them some flexibility to look like they're doing something. You know, some, a lot of the stuff is managing the message. And the NFL, being a multi-billion dollar corporation, has to manage the message not just to um, to the fans but to the players as well and the players' union and everything and to the TV partners. So they probably want to don't want to scare anybody right now by saying games might be at risk by starting with, okay, we're lopping off the preseason. But, I mean, I agree with Dave. They're meaningless. Oh, yeah. No. I, I, like I said, point well taken. You know, it's but I can just see, you know, and like I've always said, rebellions are built on hope. So, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so, anyway, well, with that, um, hope everybody has an awesome week, and we will see you back here next week for some more uh, Star Wars discussion. And, um, Hopefully everybody is still washing their hands and staying away from people and wearing masks and stuff like that and not yelling at people who wear masks because don't be a jerk. Um, so anyway, but other than that, we will uh, see you next week. And until that, we'll say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? And uh, have a good week, everybody. My monkey.